Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to talk about something that might give you a little bit of sweaty palms, or it might get your heart going, or maybe it will even send you into a face-melting terror. We're going to talk about feelings. Now, I know you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to do that. Technology shouldn't be about feelings. But just think for a minute about an app that we probably all use, like Instagram, and think about the emotions that come to mind. Maybe it's joy, maybe it's fun, maybe it's envy, or maybe, if you really think about it, it's that moment at about 2 a.m. when you're stalking your ex and you're scrolling through and you accidentally tap the picture and then you try to untap it and you hope nobody saw that. <laughs> Right? We have new emotions that we're just starting to name. This is from a great project by John Koenig, a Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. It's not about naming technology emotions, but I think this one applies. We've all had that feeling that we've taken a photo that's been taken thousands of times before now. And of course, German is a wonderful language for inventing all kinds of words, especially emotion words. We are given new emotions we don't know what to do with. So we have this one, which if you're thinking of experimenting by reacting with wow to every single Facebook post for a week or two, I can tell you, don't do that. People will think you're really weird. <laughs> we have this emotion, which might actually be a couple emotions, right? Because this is when we see the text coming in, but then there's that time when it, we see the dots, and then they just go away. <laughs> and of course, some of these emotions were reviving from ancient times, like facepalm. And when emotions become embodied, well, it becomes a little more complicated. I mean, who doesn't cringe at this video? And yet, yeah, <laughs> how incredibly human of us. So, I didn't start out studying emotion, but for the path, but every project that I worked on, looking at how people engage with technology, there it was. And so for the past five years, I've set about trying to study emotion, mostly indirectly. <laughs> I've had people chop up their days into modes, everything from quiet mourning to anxious insomniac, and that translated most of the time into moods. I've had people perform what I call an emotion exegesis, where they annotate every tap and swipe and click with an emotion that they're feeling. I've followed people who are creating relationships with artificial friends and hosted research playdates where we play with Jibo and Ibo and Cosmo. All the, I don't know why they're all named with O's, but they are. <laughs> and I've sponsored emotion hacks, like the one we'll be having here later today, trying to learn about our emotional relationship with technology. And what I've come away with is this, that our current technology is radically insufficient 
for the rich, beautiful, complex human tapestry of emotion. Our technology is getting a higher IQ, but it still has a really low EQ. So join me in the next few moments, and we will take a look forward to see what this future of feeling might have in store with us. Let's first start pretty recent, 2020. I'll call it the age of sociable machines. It's already happening. In fact, it has been going on for a long time. I mean, Clippy is not going to be revived, probably. <laughs> so we can all rest easy there. But we're seeing all kinds of robots come on the scene like this that look kind of childlike, with a big eye, not intimidating, kind of friendly. We don't even need that, though, because we attribute humanity, and especially emotion, to anything. If it has eyes, if it has erratic movements or gestures, if it has a voice, a backstory, we see emotion there. At MIT recently, they did a study where they took the littlest of robots, little bugs, <laughs> hex bugs they're called, and gave them a name and a backstory. And then to the rest of the people in the experiment, they, they didn't really say anything about it. And then they asked both groups to smash the hex bug with a hammer. Well, you can imagine what happened there. People were not able to smash the hex bug with the backstory. We don't know if this is nature or nurture, but it seems like this emotion attribution starts young. It's a water heater. Of course she does. And we want that. We crave that interaction. A recent study done by one of the big consulting agencies looked at our hopes and dreams for voice assistance, and an enormous number of us wish it would be a real person. So this leads us in the design world to do all kinds of crazy things. We get all Westworld on it, and we're like, yeah, let's make this character Bible and um, all these aspects of personality. But maybe we're jumping ahead too much. Maybe we don't go into these emotional relationships fully formed. Maybe if we look at the theory of emotion and attachment, we can see that it's a gradual process, moving from awareness to interest to attunement to finally getting into a relationship. And so I'm not sure what that emotional future looks like, but here's a little hint at it. Hey, look. Isn't that the boy you like over there? I think oh, my teenagers did not want me to show this. Okay, him last bye. Night. Hey, hon. All right. Love you. How are you? Yui. Display I love you on the front panel. Hey, Charlotte. Yeah. Are you? Okay, let's just focus on the good news. Hey, Noah, how you feeling, buddy? I'm okay, Yui. Thank you. Hey, you gotta remember you're a great dad. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I think I have a little something for you. Yeah, what's that? Here it comes, my friend. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 
Oh, I haven't heard this in forever. Oh, this is the best part right here. We've skipped ahead a few years now. <laughs> he's not that bad, is he? Nah, he's okay, as far as dads go. He's pretty great, actually. Well, maybe we won't all look quite so 1980s in the <laughs> in 2020s, but um, it gives you a sense of what it might look like if we had a progressive relationship with our digital objects in our life. If it started off not knowing that much about us and gradually getting to know us and remembering certain things that we want it to remember, maybe forgetting some other ones. Now, it still may not get us to a future where humans and robots are equal. I think most people would respond to this question with a hard no, <laughs> but maybe not. Well, let's leap ahead, because at this point, our social robots can look like a human, talk like a human, give us some cues that are human, but they don't understand emotion yet. So if we look ahead to 2025, I'll call this the age of machine-readable emotion. Now, the experts at Gartner Group say by 2022, they put it a little earlier, that your phones will know more about your emotions than your family, your friends, than we do. And you might be a little taken aback by that, but I think it's already happening. If you think about your phone right now, it shares all your secrets. It knows all your relationships. It's the first thing you look at in the morning. It's the last thing you look at when you go to bed. If I asked you right now to unlock your phone and just hand it to your neighbor, which I won't do, <laughs> you wouldn't do it because it's so personal. But it's going to level up. Machines will be able to detect physical signals about social cues for emotion. So some aspect of emotion, and it will look like this. It'll detect emotion from our faces, from our voices, from our pulse, maybe even the way we walk, um, maybe our words that we use. And it will do this in a really basic way at first, just looking at a few emotions. It's actually already in place. So if we look at some examples of where this is happening, we can see it's being used at events. This is from Wimbledon a couple years ago. And um, Jaguar and one of the emotion tech firms, XOX, partnered up to have people use wearables and Twitter and ambient sensors in the bleachers to get kind of an emotional climate of the room. It's being used in games. This is the biofeedback game called Nevermind, which adapts to your emotions so that if you are feeling calm, the game gets calmer. If you're stressed, it gets, gets a little scary, but it's supposed to be able to train you a little bit in managing your emotions. Obviously, one place that this is undergoing a huge, um, a huge impact right now is in cars. Why cars, you think? Well, there's a few good reasons. I mean, we already hit so many emotional milestones with our cars. It marks all these important moments in our lives. But even as that may start to go away and we share cars or we have less cars, we still are in this perfect little box that's filled with feelings. And feelings, after being drunk and texting, <laughs> 
cause the most accidents. And so it's being used and tested in cars already. Customer service agents are already using this to detect when there's anger or frustration in somebody's voice. And you might even see it in your email suggestions. If you're using Crystal, you will get suggestions about how to attune your message more emotionally to either send to the person that you're sending the email to. Now, if we take this experiment a little bit further out and look at not just detecting emotion, but what it would be like if our apps told us something about emotion, it might look something like this. We only have so much emotional bandwidth. Bring it in. And limited time. Mustafa? Our social circles are widening. We don't know that's bad. All those relationships. Anything in general that makes you excited? Just can be overwhelming. Now, there's an app. People keep her tracks, your physical and emotional response while you're hanging out. And it analyzes the data to identify who stresses you out, makes you excited, sad, or happy. See how your relationships stack up. And let People Keeper find the ones that work for you. It'll automatically manage your relationships, so you don't have to. Scheduling time with people that make you feel good. And blocking the ones that don't. Forget <laughs> fake friends, failed romance, and FOMO. Optimize your social life with PeopleKeeper. Well, obviously, this isn't quite ready yet, but it's a speculative design project by Lauren McCarthy that you can actually try it out. So I thought I would give it a try. If any of you have a partner that you've been with for a while, you can understand my relationship to Steve here, who makes me the most angry and the least angry. And it gives you some helpful suggestions. So when I um, texted for a ride home, it could detect a little bit of impatience or anger in my voice, and it gave me a helpful response back. <laughs> I didn't send that. <laughs> Obviously, it can have other uses. There are lots of things we don't understand emotionally. Babies, dogs, <laughs> if they don't have tails anyway, <laughs> like this one. And it'll merge with social robots. With Pepper, there already is some baseline emotion detection. They're starting to train Pepper to get better at emotions. Pepper is the little robot that you see here. And the way, of course, that you, you train a robot like this is to send them where? To high school with a bunch of teenagers. That's where you're going to learn the most about emotion. And it's being put to use and experimented with in other areas that will have a serious impact on well-being. It's being used for um, veterans who suffer from PTSD to sort out the um, prognosis and if they need therapy or some other kind of treatment. Here's an example of what that looks like. So, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. That's good. Where are you from originally? I'm from Los Angeles. Oh, I'm from LA myself. <laughs> so there you get it. Get an idea of how that might work. So it's being used in these three main ways right now to adjust system response, to teach emotional intelligence and emotional skills, and maybe to form some kind of relationship. But it's also being used 
for ads. In fact, most of the patents around Emotion AI are for advertising. And right now, it doesn't work so well. So if you put this into any of the text sentiment analysis tools right now, you'll get a positive read when you know we know <laughs> it's not really that positive. But maybe it will get better. Right now, it's based on just a few emotions. But it might become more attuned and more sensitive to things that we miss. So just listen to this voice segment. You don't have to understand the words. And there is a little bit of an accent. See if you can understand the tone. It was difficult. I mean, you miss them. You're worried. You don't, you don't know what's going on. You know, and I can't tell you everything. As soon as you hang up the phone, you're worried until the next phone call. So what do you think it is? What emotion? Maybe apprehension, frustration, anxiety, sadness. It's a little hard to tell. So it's not clear where we're going to go with this. But what is clear is it's a huge industry. The estimates of how much it's going to impact vary. This is one of them, one of many. But it's going to be in the billions. Already, Apple has bought Emodiant. So it's facial recognition that will be able to detect emotion is built into your phone already. If you've downloaded the latest OS, you probably don't remember, but you agreed to this for Facebook. <laughs> so it's happening. And what industries will it touch? Pretty much every industry where we have emotions. So basically, everywhere. <laughs> now, this is you know getting emotions to being machine readable, but it's still going to be weird for a long time. And we're going to have to sort a lot of things out. So let's jump ahead to 2050. If we're looking at a best case scenario, this will be the age of emotional intelligence. Now, in 1884, William James asked, what is an emotion? We still don't know. It has a long history. As you can see, it kind of flips back and forth between being more physical and more social or cultural. And we're seeing kind of a renaissance in emotion studies right now, where we're moving from this idea that it's evolutionary and biological and ingrained to studying the history of it and how emotions shift and change over time and how much culture has an impact on emotion and how much even our personal histories do. So there'll be, at some level, machines won't be able to understand all those aspects. Maybe not in 2050, maybe not ever. Maybe we don't want them to. But when I think of telling the history of internet emotions, I think we have to start with cats, the language of internet culture. <laughs> and so if we look at how this goes, well, first of all, cats are teaching us about new emotions that we're just becoming aware of. You know, the motion detection works really well on cats' faces. <laughs> so maybe there's that we'll see a flourishing of all different kinds of emotions that we'll be able to detect and understand. And it will bring a new understanding to ourselves of all these different gradations. It may even help us philosophically reflect on who we are as humans or cats and, <laughs> and where we're going. And we'll figure out where not to put emotion detection. <laughs> not in the litter box. <laughs> so OK, so we're looks like maybe by 2050 we'll be moving more from IQ and more
towards EQ. But even in this short few years of studying emotion, I've learned one thing. <laughs> Emotions are really, really complicated. And we can't oversimplify them. We have to give people agency over their emotions. And one thing is true. We are, as the world outside of us is changing, our inner world is changing too, and how we feel is changing. We are developing tiny emotions. They're atomizing so that we have microaggressions and we have pylons. We have macro emotions where we're detecting the emotional climate, not just of a room like this, but globally we're detecting emotion. We have emotion that's expanding because we have to get our point across. So it's not enough for one exclamation point. No, we need many more. And we're having emotions about emotions because we're so exposed to them, even if we're not conscious of them. We are mixing up our emotions in new ways more than ever before. And of course, machines will also be feeling it. <laughs> so maybe you think to yourself, this is pretty dark. It's pretty easy to go dark because there's a dystopia everywhere you click when you think of emotions and technology. But, and maybe you're thinking, well, maybe I don't need my technology to detect my emotions at all. Maybe I just want to turn this off and hide from emotions, disguise myself, keep my emotions close to myself. But I'll leave you with this. If we design technology to be more efficient, we may become more productive as a society. But if we design technology with emotional intelligence, maybe we'll be able to make progress in areas that we haven't made progress in so far, like communication and compassion and connection. Just as we design technology, technology designs us. So let's let that future together be an emotionally intelligent one. Thank you very much.